0: Man, thank you guys. Thank you, Ron. Did, did you hear what Ron said in his prayer? 2020. Did you catch that? Can you believe it's going to be 2020? So you're not amazed by that. I thought this year went really fast, Stacy. I thought it went fast. Hey, who's made a New Year's resolution? Who, who thinks New Year's resolutions are a good idea? Who thinks they're a bad idea? Who, who's indifferent? Who doesn't care? Okay, there's no, no, there's no right or wrong here, I'm just curious, just doing a little survey. Uh, well, it is the new year, uh, it's, it's upon us guys, and isn't it interesting that so many people, they, they do make resolutions, and I think the reason for that is we see a need for change. Alright, we, we look into our lives, maybe we look up on the past year and, or, or several years and we're like, man, I want, I want some things to be different, I want some changes made in my life. And so we, ch- we try to make these changes. Are you with me? Well, I got a list off the internet, so this has got to be accurate, about some of the top New Year's resolutions that people make. Would you like me to read them? Good, because I was really wanting to. Number one, you're going to love this one. Exercise more. Oh, lose weight. Well, it's just getting worse, isn't it? How about this one? I need this. Get organized. Yeah. Learn a new skill or hobby. All right, I like this one. It says live life to the fullest. Now, I like to say make the most of every day that God gives you. Make the most of every day. How about this? Save more money and spend less money. Oh, it's quiet in here. Are we getting depressed? Do I need to stop? This one will make you feel better. Be less stressed. If only we knew how, right? <laughs> Spend more time with family and friends. There's a good one. Travel more. And number 10, read more. Read more. That one surprised me. Any of y'all make that a resolution? You want to read more? Hey, read more of the Bible. There's one for you. That's, that's the best. Read, read more of God's Word. Uh, whether you like New Year's resolutions or you don't, uh, you know, that's okay. You don't have to make a New Year's resolution. <laughs> That's not what my sermon's about today. But listen, I think we all do have good intentions, though. Even if we don't make a resolution, could we honestly say, Hey, yeah, there's some areas I want to do better in. There's some things I want to improve upon my life. Could we identify with that today? Raise your hand if you say, Yeah, there's some areas I could do better in my life, right? So, so we set out, man, and we've got these great intentions. And Miss Gail shared about this in, in her uh, testimony this morning. And we've got these great intentions, man. We're going to change the world. We're going to change our life. It's going to be amazing. And then what happens, man? Life hits, right? <laughs> you know, and uh, reality hits, and boom, we're just like, oh, what happened? You know, and we get we get derailed, don't we? All right, maybe I'm the only one that that happens to. Well, listen, I call this the Esau syndrome. The Esau syndrome. And you're like, what is the Esau syndrome? I made it up, okay? But, but it has a biblical base. So we're going to go today to Genesis 25. So go ahead and turn there. We'll be reading verses 29 through 34. It's also on the screen. So as you make your way there, we're going to be talking about the Esau syndrome. Because I think when you look at Esau's life, you can see a lot of promise. You can see God's intended plan and blessing. But he got derailed. all right. And guys, it can happen to any one of us. Any single one of us, we can get derailed. We can get off track. So we're going to read Genesis 25, uh, 29 through 34. And, but before we do, I'm going to define the Esau syndrome. Are you ready? The Esau syndrome. And if you don't get it all here, it's okay because I'm going to break it down today. But this is the Esau syndrome. You ready? Esau made an impulsive decision who's ever done that to fulfill an immediate desire that resulted in temporary satisfaction and a lifetime of painful consequences guys our choices matter we want to avoid the Esau syndrome so we're going to look at God's word today how to combat that are you ready okay good Genesis 25, verses 29 through 34. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew, I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said, what good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Let's pray. God, we love you, and again, it's a privilege to be in your house. And we thank you for the amazing gift of salvation. Thank you for the promise of eternal life that you have for everyone who trusts Jesus as Lord and Savior. Uh, Today, we thank you for the time we've already had to, to lift our voices in praise to you, to to focus on you, to worship you. Lord, right now, I pray that you speak from your word into our hearts and just move in our lives and help us to trust you, to obey you, to follow you, to love you, Lord. Empower us to make good decisions, Lord, and to to just follow through in our commitments to you. Lord, we love you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I want to talk to you about today is impulsive decisions. Esau was an impulsive guy. He made impulse decisions decisions. How many of y'all have ever made an impulse decision in your life? Anybody in the house, okay? Yeah, we've all made some impulse decisions that we would later regret, right? Well, maybe here's a way to illustrate it, Uh, especially this time of year. uh, Christmas has just passed, and maybe you were a little impulsive in your spending, okay? (laughs) Maybe you overspent a little bit, and that will be reflected maybe when the credit card bill comes in, right? And you're like, what do I have to show for all this? Just some interest, right? <laughs> and then you're like, now i got to pay this off. Okay? Not y'all, right? Nobody? Okay. <laughs> hey, it's, it's, a, it's a thing that we struggle with, right? So maybe we have some buyer's regret. Uh, you, you know where all the things end up that we buy on impulse, right? Garage sales. Right? <laughs> Are you with me? Right? we got to have it, but then later we realize we didn't need it that much. So Esau, he struggled with impulsive decisions. you know. And I, I've thought about Esau, and you think about his life, and you're like, how could he do this? How could he really do this? So I'll give you just a little background on what we just read. Now, I've preached about Jacob, a, f- a few sermons through the years about Jacob, but I've never preached a sermon just focused on Esau. But I think we learn a lot in Esau's life, and, in, and here's the reality. If we're honest, there's some Esau in every one of us. There really is, because it's human nature. Esau's dealing with this human nature, and we deal with it too. Okay, so I think there's some great life lessons we can learn. Now, in the biblical times, the oldest child, he received a double portion of the inheritance. So, Eli, this is my oldest son, Eli. Eli, if you were, if you were living in biblical times... You would inherit twice as much as your brothers, okay? So it was a really good deal to be the oldest child in biblical times. But don't get your hopes up, Eli, because it's not, it's not Old Testament rules anymore, okay? So in biblical times, the oldest brother, not only did he receive double inheritance, he would also be the ruler of the family. He'd be the head honcho. He got to call the shots. He got to boss everybody around, Okay? That, that was the perks of being the big brother. And so Esau and Jacob, they were twins, and Esau was born first. But when Jacob was born, he was holding on to Esau's heel. So his name symbolically means heel grasper or supplanter, one who would overthrow. All right? So that was, that was Jacob's name. Now Esau, when he was born, as you know, he was, he was hairy all over, Right? So Esau means hairy, all right? And he would also gain, excuse me, another nickname that I'll talk to you about a little bit later in my sermon. But he had a couple of nicknames that really weren't the greatest nicknames. I mean, that's probably not the nickname you'd want to be, you know, called, that Harry, He was Harry all over, like, like a little rug. So here these two brothers are, but even in the womb, there was strife, there was fighting. Excuse me. Uh, Their mother was worried sick, so she's praying, Lord, what's wrong? What is going on? And he told her, before the babies were born, he said, Two nations are in your womb, and the older will serve the younger. Now, what did I tell you about biblical roles? The oldest son would be the what? The ruler, the head honcho. He would get double inheritance. But here we see, foretold a prophecy that the older is going to serve the younger. All right, so it was, it was backwards. It was reversed. So these two guys, they came out, and, and it was like it was game on for the rest of their life fighting over possessions, fighting over the birthright, over the inheritance, over money, over stuff. It was consuming to them. All right, So again, there's some Esau in all of us, right? So Esau made a really impulsive decision. Jacob all along, has been promised that he's going to get the birthright. Now, I need to explain something. This is important. We need to get this. God was not setting Esau up for failure in the womb. God had nothing against Esau. And just because he gave this this promise that the older would serve the younger doesn't mean that God still didn't have great things in store for Esau. Doesn't mean that Esau couldn't have been a great man of God. Doesn't mean that Esau's descendants couldn't have been a great nation as well. God was not setting them up for failure. But God just simply said the older is going to serve the younger. But this caused so much strife in the family that it would just blow them up. and, And cause them to miss so many good things that God had. But Esau, keep this in mind, Esau still had a free will. He had every opportunity, just as you and I do, to follow God, to obey him, to love God. Or, on the other hand, to disobey God, to turn away from God, to walk away from his commands. Esau had that choice. He had a choice. But Esau, he based his life upon impulse, making impulsive decisions. So here Esau comes in, and he, uh, the Bible said he was a, he's kind of a rugged man. He was a manly man, right? He, would, he loved the outdoors. He loved to hunt and fish, so he would, he'd been out hunting. And like a lot of my outdoor excursions, he came back empty-handed, okay? And he's just starving to death, right? He's famished. So he comes up to Jacob, and he's like, Dude, give me some of that stew, okay? He's just bossing around his little brother. Give me some of that stew, right? I'm starving to death. So Esau, all he could think about was when he came in, he was hungry, and he wanted that stew. That was the immediate desire of his life. That's where he was at. And so he wanted to satisfy that hunger that he had. Listen, guys, I, I, I processed this. I thought about this, and there, there's, a, there's a word that I came up with for Esau. That he would literally give away his whole inheritance for this one bowl of soup. Are you ready? Dumb. (laughs) I don't know if I should say that in here, but guys, when you break it down, this is crazy, right? That he would give away everything for one little bowl of stew doesn't make sense. And then I thought, well, are there other examples in scripture where people made impulsive decisions that, you know, just didn't make sense? Well, sure. How about Cain killing Abel? That's impulsive, isn't it? Or Moses, when he disobeyed God and he hit the rock with his staff, and that kept him out of the promised land. That was an impulsive decision that that cost big time, right? How about David committing adultery with Bathsheba and murdering her husband? That's some impulsive decisions that had big ramifications in his life, right? Crazy stuff. Like, what were they thinking? Well, they weren't. But then, you know what dawned on me? We can fall into the same traps. We're really not that much different, guys. We can be one bad decision away from running our life. So we have to back up. And when we're faced with an impulsive decision, something right in front of us, we got to think. We got to stop. We got to pray. We got to ask God, what do you think about this, Lord? Are y'all with me? When something comes our way, we don't automatically just grab it because it looks good, or it may be something that we think we want, we got to stop and we got to pray. And how can we fall into impulsive decisions? Well, for some of us, it's our temper. Just like that. Man, we can fly off the handle, and then we can say or do things that we'll later regret, right? We don't think about what's coming out of our mouth. We don't think about our actions because we're acting upon impulse. Okay, guys, how about uh, any guys out here ever have man fits? All right, something you're working on something, it's not going too good, you get mad, you break it, then you got a worse problem. (laughs) No, none of you guys ever do that, right? I see a few wives, elbow, elbow. Joy's too far away, she can't elbow me. But she's pointing to all the row of guys around her down there. Listen, uh, we can fall into impulse. How about impulsive? We already mentioned it, but impulsive spending. All right. Just because it says it's on sale doesn't mean you have to have it. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a good deal, right? Can I get an amen? amen. All right. Hey, I'm picking on all of us today, right? <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm not being, uh, you know, singling anybody out. Listen, guys, we got to be careful because we can't let impulsive decisions guide our life. If we act upon impulse and we make hasty decisions, then we're going to regret it. Because if we're not careful, in a moment of weakness, something can come our way. And for a moment, we can turn our back on our Savior. We can walk away from God's commands and we can disobey Him and take something into our life that we know is forbidden. And we're all susceptible to that. Nobody's immune. Right? We're all sinners. We've all missed the mark. But thank goodness we have a Savior to make it right. Well, Esau, he was an impulsive person and it didn't pay off for him. It didn't pay off at all. So he goes on... Uh, to face an immediate desire. So there's, there's an impulsive decision made. He's like, give me that stew. All right, I want it. I want it right now. And so then it leads into this immediate desire. He saw it. He wanted it. Uh, any fishermen or fisherwomen in the house? Anybody like to fish? Anybody? Okay, good. Well, I like to fish. I uh, love to fish. Not very good at it, but I enjoy it. But a fisherman, if you like to fish, you're acting upon immediate desire. You're trying to trigger that fish. You throw a bait out there. You cast the bait out. I think we got to old, oh, isn't that a good picture? Y'all know what that is up there? That's a trout. Yeah, anybody know what kind of trout? Brother, brown trout. Yes, who said that? Raise your hand if you said brown trout. That's right, brown trout. If Brother Rajani were out here, Miss Gail, I'd have him throw some candy out for getting that correct. I love to fish. And, uh, man, so you, you put the bait out, though, don't you? You throw the bait out. And that fish sees the bait. And the idea is, if you're a fisherman, you want him to immediately desire that. Right? You with me? Because it looks like something tasty to eat. And you can see the little lure up there. And if you have really good eyes, maybe you can see those little hooks on the bottom of the lure, little treble hooks. So the fish, he grabs it, he gobbles it up, he thinks he got a free meal. But instead, what happened? He just got hooked. He just got caught caught. Guys, in some ways, we're no different than that fish, <laughs> and sometimes we want something that God says is off limits, and if we take it into our life, we're going to get caught. We're going to get hooked. We're going to get snagged by the enemy, by Satan, and it's going to hurt, so we need to be on guard, right? Well, listen, this struggle between Jacob and Esau, man, it, like I told you, it started in the womb, and then just, it just got worse. It escalated. Now, Rebecca favored Jacob. That was her favorite son. He liked to hang out to cook good meals. So she was teaching him, you know, how to how to be a really good cook. Esau, he was an outdoors guy. He liked to hunt, so his dad really clung to him. And these parents were picking favorites. And parents, that never works good. You don't pick favorites. You don't single out your kids. You love them the same. Well, these parents, they had their favorite kids. And I think, you know, and this is just me being a preacher, just kind of imagining, I wonder what if, you know. And I thought about this, that Rebecca, she probably got Jacob to the side when he was a boy, you know, teenager, said, Now, now, don't tell your brother, okay, but God told me you're going you're gonna to be the leader of the family. And Esau's going to serve you. Now, don't tell him, don't tell him, but, you know, you're going you're gonna to be the leader. And so, you know, Jacob, being a punk kid, he'd go up to his brother and be like, hey, dude, guess what? you're going to serve me. I'm going to own you. I will be your master. You know He's telling him this stuff. Well, how do you think that went with Esau? How did that set with him? Not real good. Not real good at all. Now, Esau, he was rugged. He was tough. Jacob, he knew he could not physically outmatch Esau. He was no match for him. Esau would tear him apart. He'd rip him up. So Jacob had to outsmart him. He had to outwit him. <clears throat> now, interesting thing about Jacob and his mother, their whole lives they spent struggling to get this inheritance for Jacob. God had already said, I'm going to bless your kids. I'm going to bless the younger child. The older one will serve him. God was going to give the blessing in his way and in his time. But that was not good enough for Jacob and Rebekah. So they were always conniving. They were always planning and scheming and plotting on how to get this inheritance to Jacob they didn't trust God and wait wait for his plan I don't want to say a lot about Jacob today because that's not my focus but then Esau on the other hand he didn't really value the birthright. he didn't treasure it he wasn't he wasn't focused on the blessings that should have been his he was just focused on whatever was in front of him however he felt at that moment that's what he wanted he was living for the here and the now are you with me so here, here it goes. Here the plot unfolds. Uh, Jacob, he's got, this, he's got Esau's favorite meal ready, waiting on him. So when Esau gets in from hunting, he's had a bad day, didn't get anything, he's starving to death. Man, when he walked into the house, there Jacob had Esau's favorite stew, red stew. Doesn't that sound amazing? The Bible says lentil stew. See, it was, it was big in those days. It was a popular dish. But it was Esau's favorite, apparently, and it, it that smelled so good. And Esau, man, he just, you know, the bossy brother again. Give me the stew. Well, Jacob, he's ready. He's got his response. And he said, I will if, if you give me the birthright. And now we see old Esau like, well, I'm dying anyway of hunger. What good's the birthright going to be to me? Give me the stew. So that's not good enough for Jacob. He says, then you make a promise. You make a promise. Let's make it binding. Let's make a deal. So Esau made the promise. The deal was done. And he ate the stew. And Jacob got the inheritance. Now guys, again, that, it's dumb. This doesn't make sense. But Esau justified the decision he was making. He said, ah, I'm going to die anyway. I've got What good is it if I'm going to die? But again... Before we get too critical of Esau, let's go back to our lives for a little bit. Aren't we good at justification when it comes to our own desires? We can justify things if it's for our benefit, right? But guys, if there's something in front of us, it's not our justification that makes it right or wrong. It's God, what does God's word say about it? What's the Holy Spirit speaking into your heart? What does Jesus say about it? That's what matters. Not what we think or not what we justify. But listen, man, Satan, he's so good. He's casting those lures in front of us. He's, he's trying to catch us, and he custom-tailors our temptations for each of us. He knows our weak points, right? And just like Esau, man, if we're not careful, we can fall into that sin. We can fall into that pattern. And, and here's something else about Esau. I have to wonder if when he made this promise to Jacob, did he really even mean it? You know, did he really mean it? Or is he just like, I'll tell, I'll tell the kid what he wants to hear to get what I want. And then I'm going to go my own way. And there won't be any ramifications of this. Now I kind of thought that. Maybe Esau he didn't really value his word. And guys, we need to we need to value our word to God. Right? When we commit our lives to Jesus. We're saying I belong to you Lord. And now these things of the world. They're off limits. Right? Because you bought me. You paid the price for my sins. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus shed his blood. On the cross, God's only son, to pay the price for our sins. Right? So that means we belong to Jesus. We don't belong to the world anymore. So we got to remember that. We got to remember who we belong to. So when the temptation comes, we don't want to abuse God's grace and just say, Well, you know what? I I can partake of this and then ask God to forgive me. Right? Now, does God forgive us when we repent? Absolutely. He does forgive us. When we confess our sins, He forgives us. But guys, to repent is to be genuine, to be sorrowful, right? To turn away from the sin. But if we're not careful, we can get caught up in that cycle of sin and you know guilt and then confession. And and we get caught up in the rut, right? The Esau syndrome. We're, We're caught in this rut. We're just making the same old decisions over and over again. It can happen to any of us, but guys, that's why we have a Savior. That's why we have Jesus, and the Holy Spirit empowers us. So when the temptation comes, and it's right there in front of you, hey, ask God for strength, and you know what he'll do? He will strengthen you. He will make a way of escape. We're not powerless to temptation. Are you with me? All right, so now we're going to go to the next part of this, the Esau syndrome. Esau received temporary satisfaction, okay? So he made an impulse decision based upon an immediate desire, but what did it bring him? Only temporary satisfaction. This is a very important part of the sermon today that I want you to remember. We all need to remember this. When sin comes calling, the satisfaction it brings is just going to be very temporary. I'll illustrate it with a movie that came out a few years ago called The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Who's seen that movie? All right? Okay, several of you. Did you like it? Okay. It's a pretty good movie. It's uh, based upon a a book by C.S. Lewis. He was a theologian and an author. And so they made a movie about it. Now, listen, I don't believe, I don't watch a lot of movies or any movies with witchcraft and things like that in it. But in this movie, there is a white witch, okay? But she's symbolic, it's spiritual, of, of the enemy, okay? And of evil, of Satan and evil. And so these four kids, their siblings, they go, they, they find themselves uh, landing in this mystical land called Narnia, okay? They go through this wardrobe, this piece of furniture, and somehow it transports them into this land. All right, y'all just roll with me for a minute. If you haven't seen this movie, just use your imagination, okay? Put your kid brain on for a minute and imagine with me. See, so these four kids, they go into this mystical land called Narnia, and Narnia used to be this amazing place, but it got messed up. And the white witch had overpowered it, and now it was like a frozen wasteland. It was a blizzard, okay? And these four kids, they don't know it, but they're on this journey to, to overpower the evil. And they, they're going to be helped by this lion. Anybody remember his name? Aslan, yeah. So who's he represent? He represents, yeah, he represents Jesus. So Aslan's this lion. He's going to help the kids overpower the evil and, and be victorious, okay? So it's just symbolic of, of life and the, the journey that we're all on. So this one, one of the boys, though, he, he gets separated, and he winds up in front of the white witch, okay? She's there. And you know what she does? It's cold, and she offers him this delicious Turkish delight, this dessert, this delicious Turkish delight. Has anybody ever had Turkish delight? I haven't either. Is it real? I don't know. Is it real? Okay, Austin, you've had it. Is it good? It's good. Okay. So it is real, and it is good. It's been confirmed. So Edmund, this sibling, thank you, brother. Edmund, this sibling, uh, he partakes of this Turkish delight that the white witch gives him. It's amazing, like nothing he's ever tasted before in his life. And it brought him satisfaction for a little bit. But then, guess what? He got hungry, and he wanted more. And you know what she said? You can't have more yet. Well, he got desperate. He, He would do anything to get more Turkish delight. So guess what? She wove a... She spun a web, she, she set a trap, and the only way he could get more Turkish delight is if he would bring his siblings to her. Of course, she wanted to kill them all. He didn't realize that, he just went right along with the trap, because all he could see in front of him was he wanted more Turkish delight. Nothing else mattered, even if he was putting his life and his family's life in danger. Now, if you want to hear more about that story, okay, you've got to go rent the movie or read the book, okay? That's just an illustration for my sermon. But Esau, just like Edmund and just like us, he saw something and he wanted it and it didn't matter what it cost and he got it, but then it wasn't going to make him happy. It didn't sustain him. All right, and that's the problem with sin. Sin does never it, it doesn't satisfy you for very long. It doesn't sustain you. Okay? All it's gonna do is put you in bondage. All it's gonna do is trap you. And the satisfaction that it brings is very, very, very short-lived did you get that that's an important part as as people in this world as you know if you're a follower of god if you're a a believer in jesus you're going to be tempted satan's going to tempt each and every one of us each and every day and we got to be prepared for it we got to know that it's coming it's no surprise when a temptation hits us now we may be surprised that that it's out of the blue because we got to we got to realize temptation's gonna it's a part of life The the devil is tempting us. He's trying to lure us away from God, and we got to be prepared. So Esau, he learned a hard lesson. When he he gulped down that stew, here's what I envisioned, is that he walked away, and he was full for a little while. But if he was anything like me in three hours, he was going to be hungry again, right? (laughs) Anybody else in the house like that? And Jacob never offered him a contract with a lifetime supply of red stew. It was a one-time deal. Now, ironically, Esau got another nickname. Remember the first nickname I told you he had was what? He's hairy, that's right. Well, he gets another nickname because of the stew. It's the name Edom, E-D-O-M. His descendants would be the Edomites. This name means red. So Esau, it it was kind of a play on words because when he was born, he was hairy, and he was also red. He had red hair, so uh, he he was called he was called Esau or Harry. But then, when he partook of this stew, they gave him another nickname, Edom, and it means red. So I could only imagine as Esau matures and grows into an adult that throughout his life, people would say, "Hey, there's old Red. That's the guy that sold his inheritance for a bowl of stew." You know, and and they were making fun of him. And you can imagine what a thorn in the flesh this would be to Esau, a reminder every day of something dumb that you did. Now, guys, we've all been there. We've all made mistakes, right? Every one of us. But aren't you glad that God forgives and he doesn't remind us of it and slap us in the face with it? I'm thankful for God's forgiveness. But sometimes people aren't as forgiving. And I have a feeling that Esau probably received a lot of teasing for this, So a lot of anger was probably building up in his life. Because it's a reminder every day as people said, hey, there's old Red. And he was reminded, oh, you know, what was I thinking? But here's the deal. When temptation comes, here's what we fall into. Here's some, here's some things that we often do. We'll convince ourselves that if I can only have this in my life, I will be happy. Or here's another, another one we say. If I get this in my life, I'll never ask for anything again right? Or how about this? We tell ourselves this, just this one time, and then I'll stop. But is that the way temptation works? No. Here's what the enemy does. He puts the bait out there, we take it, and he sucks us in. You know, sin is a debit in our account. It's not a credit. It pulls us down. It drains us. We don't gain by giving in to temptation. We lose, ultimately. We got sucked in, and we went more and more and more, and guys were never satisfied. It's never gonna be enough. So now we see old Esau. Man, the deal's done. He partook of the stew, he struck the deal with Jacob, he only received temporary satisfaction. And then the last part of the Esau syndrome is he endured a lifetime of painful consequences. And this is a tragic part. And this is a part where, man, we really gotta, we really gotta we gotta wake up. We gotta open our eyes up to our lives and, and our relationship with God. And, and let's learn from Esau, because there's a little bit of Esau in all of us. But the positive side is we don't have to do what Esau did. We can learn from Esau's actions. So, so let's go ahead and dive in to see what happened with Esau. Uh, Esau, he thought he could say whatever he wanted to, to say to get what he wanted, and he didn't really think it would matter. He didn't think there would really be a consequence. I think when he struck that deal with Jacob, he's like, this doesn't matter. I'm going to act like it never happened. And that's how the devil wants us to deal with sin. When we sin and the Holy Spirit's convicting us and we're feeling uneasy about it, uh, we're supposed to repent. That's God dealing with us. But the devil wants us to sweep it under the rug, right? I'll just ignore it. Go on. You'll be fine. Do your thing. So I think Esau, he just tried to ignore what happened. Act like it never happened. I, you know, Move on. I'm still going to get the inheritance. I'm still going to get all the, all the money. I'm still going to be the leader of the family. But listen, this is a critical point in his life. This is a critical point in his life because now Isaac is old, he's blind, and he is about to officially give the birthright. So it's not done. The dealing's not done until the father, at the end of his life, blesses that child that gets the birthright. He verbally... Gives it to him. So, you guys know the story. Isaac calls in Esau and he's like, hey, go get me some wild game and bring it in here and I'm gonna eat it and then I'm gonna give you the birthright. So, remember what I said earlier about the parents got sucked right into the mess? Well, now Isaac, it's like he's ignoring what's happened too. And he's like, I'm still gonna bless you. Even though you sold your birthright, I'm gonna give the blessing to you. Well, meanwhile, Rebecca, she's like, "Uh uh-uh, not under my watch. So she gets to play him with Isaac or with Jacob, and and Jacob dresses up like Esau. You know the story. And Isaac's blind. He can't see. So Jacob pretends to be Esau, and Isaac blesses Jacob instead. Esau comes in moments after Isaac leaves the tent, finds out what happens, and he's furious. He is livid because now it's over. He's lost it. And in Hebrews, the Bible tells us that even though Esau sought the birthright with tears in his eyes, it was too late. It couldn't be undone. So before, he thought it was all fun and games, but now reality has hit, and he's paying the price, and there are some painful consequences because he he realizes what's really happened. Now, this is the point for Esau, though. He had a chance here, and I said this earlier, God never forced Esau to do anything. He made the poor choices. Esau has an opportunity to say, God, I made a mess of my life. Here are all the broken pieces. So, God, I'm going to turn back to you, and I'm going to repent, and I'm going to cry out to you. And, God, would you fix me? Would you put the pieces back together? Would you restore my life? Would you still do something through me? Guys, he had that chance. But what did Esau do? Did he go that direction? No, he didn't. He went the other way. And this is where we can learn. This is where we can learn from him. He went the other way, and the Bible says he got angry. He got so angry that he promised to kill Jacob. Well, Rebecca heard about it, so she convinced Isaac to send Jacob away. And through that process, Esau learned that his parents did not like his choice of wives. Esau had married two Hittite women. They were, they were not uh, followers of God. They didn't believe in God, but he married into this pagan culture. And the parents were upset about it. This had happened before the birthright was given, before it was uh, stolen at the end. So this had been an ongoing source of contention in their lives. Maybe they would not verbalized it to Esau, but it had caused trouble in the family because these, these wives weren't believers in God. So it was, it was a bit of a, of a struggle. So guess what? When Esau learned that that was a problem for his parents, you know what he did? He said, I'll show you guys. And he went to Ishmael. Now, do you remember Ishmael? Ishmael is Isaac's older brother, okay, who also didn't get the inheritance, all right? Isaac was younger. He got the inheritance. Ishmael used to ridicule Isaac when he was a little kid. He would make fun of him. So now Esau runs to Ishmael and marries one of his daughters. So this is even a slap into Isaac's face. Now, who was Isaac's favorite son? Esau. But now we see Esau trying to hurt his parents, even his dad. Everything in Esau's life that was good or those that loved him, he was pushing away from them. He was trying to hurt them. You see, sin was going crazy out of control in his life. Instead of owning up and saying, I sinned, Father, forgive me, he got angry and he blamed his brother and his parents for his loss of his inheritance. He didn't own up to his mistake. So then he became bitter and he let bitterness rule him. And it's even referenced in the New Testament in Hebrews, uh, warning us, don't be bitter, don't be immoral, don't, don't follow the example that Esau set for us. So Esau, he let his life get out of control. And, and so everything that was good in his life began to crumble because he was so angry and he was so bitter that he, he wanted to hurt everybody in his life. And guys, that's, that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to destroy relationships. He wants to destroy families. He wants to destroy our relationship with God. And here's the reality. We do live in a world that, yeah, it's messed up. Yeah, there's sin in the world. We're not always going to get along perfect. But guys, we got to give grace. God gives grace to the humble. And Esau did not humble himself. So that was his tragedy. That was his mistake. God still could have done something great in his life. But instead, there was a rift in the family. Now, years later, when Jacob returned home, there was some restoration between the two brothers. But their descendants would have conflict for the rest of time. Through biblical times, they had conflict. It didn't have to be that way. But guys, for us, if we mess up, yeah, our human nature, our tendency is to blame other people. Blame, we don't like to own up. We don't like to say we messed up. But instead of blaming other people, just own up and say, You know what? I messed up. I'm sorry. Forgive me, Lord. If you've hurt somebody else, go ask for their forgiveness too. You know, own up. Because these are great teaching tools. And when when we mess up and the Holy Spirit convicts us, that's a great opportunity to say, Okay, Lord, get me back on track. Because that's what he wants to do. Get me back on track. But Satan wants you to fall in the trap of bitterness and resentment. And, God's bitterness can consume us. Bitterness is a dangerous tool of the enemy. And Satan uses bitterness to destroy lives. So we've got to fight against that. We've got to be vigilant against that. Don't let it destroy you. And, hey, maybe, maybe things happen in your life that it wasn't a result of a sin that you did. It was just something bad happened just because. Well, guess what? We could get bitter about that, too. We could get bitter at God about that. But we got to trust God. We can't control him. Did you know that? We cannot control God. We can't control other people. We can barely control ourselves, okay? So focus on controlling yourself. But listen, sometimes circumstances are just going to be tough. This world's not perfect. And if you find yourself in a tough, tough circumstance, yes, it's easy to get bitter at God and blame him. But instead, try this. Say, God, this is difficult. But for whatever reason, this is in my life right now. So I'm trusting you to work through it. And I'm going to give glory to you, God, through the process. Okay? When you're going through a tough time, just let God see you through it. Trust Him. Let Him see you through it. And then point others to Him. Even in your difficulty, whatever whatever it is, whatever your trial is, even in that trial, you can say, You can you can point somebody else to Jesus. Because you know what? I think people watch us when we're going through a difficulty, when we're going through a hard time in our life. People are watching how you respond. People are, they can see your faith lived out. Because when life gets tough, that's when faith gets real. So when you rely on the Lord and you anchor on him and you say, No matter what, I'm not letting go of the Lord, did you know people take notice? People are watching. So you don't know, you don't know who that difficulty is going to impact. So here's the deal. There's a little bit of Esau in all of us. So how do we overcome it? Well, I got four, four applications to combat this Esau syndrome. And they're going to be quick. But number one, decide in advance what you're going to do when the temptation comes. There's not really that, any new temptations under the sun. By now, you know the ways that you're tempted, right? Don't you? So, go ahead and get a battle plan to say, Okay, Lord, when the temptation comes, here's what I'm going to do. And you don't think about it. You don't have to even think. It's just, it's just natural. It's inborn in you. It's Holy Spirit inspired that you're just going to react to that temptation and flee from it. All right, then develop some disciplines in your life. I think Esau lacked discipline. He reacted on Impulse. So for us, the opposite of impulse is to build some disciplines into our lives. And while maybe we don't need to make a bunch of New Year's resolutions, how about, how about just say, God, I'm going I'm to build one discipline in my life this year. One thing, maybe it's read, read a, a verse of Scripture a day or a chapter of Scripture a day or a book of the Bible in a month or reading through the Bible in a year. You know, start small and then add to it. But the more disciplines we build in our life, guys, the more success we will actually have when it comes to overcoming a temptation. So when you develop disciplines in your life of prayer and and the word and serving and being faithful to God's house, and that's going to equip you and empower you that when the temptations come, you're going to have a battle battle plan and you're going to be ready for it. And you can avoid it. Number three, own up to your mistakes and repent. We talked a lot about that. And then number four, forgive and let go of bitterness. And, and today, maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you're hanging on to some things. Listen, God knows your pain. He feels your pain. But he's the only one that can heal you. So hanging on to it or accusing somebody else, that's really not going to heal you. What heals you is God. So you take it to him and you just say, God, help me to forgive. Let it be it's got to be a God thing. But you let, you let God, you forgive and you let God do the healing. But today, I just challenge you, open up your heart, open up your life, and just look in and say, is there some Esau in me? or there some things in my life that are a little bit out of control? or there's some things in my life that I need to give to the Lord, that I need to say, yep, Lord, I got a mess here. I need you to fix it. All right? Uh, whatever your need is today, you can take it to the Lord. You can count on Him. You can trust Him. I'd like to ask everybody to bow your heads and our praise team is going to come up for our invitation. But guys, this is, this is the most important part of the sermon. It's not about me being up here preaching God's word to you. It's about what's the Holy Spirit saying to you right now into each and every one of your hearts. And today, if, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's the most important thing you'll ever do. Jesus, he came to this earth because we, were, we had sin. And that sin separated us from our Heavenly Father and from eternity. And Jesus came and he paid the price for our sin because sin earns death. And he took our place. And he, he was crucified and he was buried in the tomb. And then three days later, he rose again. He conquered death. And guys, if you believe that and if you trust Jesus as your Savior, then you are forgiven of your sins. You have eternal life in heaven if you've not done that today in just a minute I'm going to pray and while I'm praying would you just come up to our altars and just ask God to come into your life and and to be your Lord and Savior but maybe today believers across the room maybe you just like to come and pray and say hey yeah Lord give me strength give me strength when the temptation comes help me to make the right choice maybe believers across the room today say Lord yeah help me to have some some spiritual disciplines in my life I need to take it up a notch. I need, to get, I need to dig in a little more, Lord. I want to get closer to you. Maybe you just need to come and pray because you're, you're under attack from the enemy and you need strength. That's fine. Whatever the need, have the freedom today to come to the altar and just cry out to the Lord. This is between you and the Lord. Nobody else. We're not here to embarrass you today. We're just here to encourage you. So as I pray, uh, you come on up to the altar and talk to the Lord. Whatever you, you need to do, between you and the Lord take care of it today let's all stand God we love you.